Shut up and sit down. All right, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Epstein. I'm, as always, here with uh, Mike Prada. Mike, how's it going, bud? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. It's getting a little too cold outside. I don't like the cold. Even You know, basketball is in the cold, so that's good. But I don't like the cold weather. It's freezing. Uh, and I know, man. And I'm also sad because a uh, sad moment today for my favorite soccer team. Uh, devastating law tie that led to a loss and one of our best players injured. Uh, so that's not great. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, otherwise I'm doing pretty well. What time was that game on? What time were you watching soccer today? So I didn't actually watch it. I was at a meeting. I just saw what happened after the fact. Oh, it's even worse. It's even worse. Brutal. Yeah, those things happen. It could be worse. You could be a a fan of my soccer team. This is not a soccer podcast, though, everybody. Sorry if we just lost like half the listeners real quickly. (laughs) We we have a tendency to do that when we get into the the soccer talk. Um, Cool. But before we go any further, Mike, I should tell everyone to, to please... Rate, review, subscribe, uh, all those good things. We love it when we get the the feedback and comments. Uh, they're always greatly appreciated. And they help us because we're actually going to have a new uh, – we're going to get some new artwork for the podcast and we're going to have a new lead-in song. So uh, thank you for your for your comments and, and we're constructively using that. And I think creatively, Mike, we, we kind of saw eye to eye. So, so look out for that coming soon. Yeah, it – Look, it's going to be kind of funny because I know all you like early listeners are going to be the hipster listeners that remember when the show had the uh, loud shut up and sit down intro music and the super janky Photoshop that I created, even though I don't know how to use Photoshop. Like We had a lot of resources behind us at this podcast, a lot of resources. And all y'all who were there from the beginning are going to remember the days when, oh man, can't you remember when this podcast had all that crappy crap at the beginning? It's a mom and pop podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> but uh, perfect. So send us questions. If uh, Those are always good, too. We, you'll, you'll see we get to those in every podcast, and they kind of help us move some narratives along. And, and obviously, we, we love your input. So send us those questions. You can always send those to MikePreda at SBNation.com. That's email. And then on Twitter, at MikePreda, SBN, and at Limited underscore Upside, and at EpiBen. Those are the three handles you'll find us at. So that's out of the way now. And Mike, we got to get to, I guess, the game that happened last night. This today is Thursday. Uh, so yesterday, Wednesday night, uh, the Warriors and Clippers played. It was a marquee game, one of those put up or shut up with the Warriors be tested by the Clippers. Uh, and it was um, an nah. embarrassing game. <laughs> nah, embarrassing. they were not tested. <laughs> yeah, not at all. What what happened there? Not, we know visually and the score, uh, the box score, Mike. But but tell us what actually happened, if you will. And, and, and I think you might have a different view on which side of the ball was most impressive, too. Yeah, I, I you could tell kind of at the three minutes that it was like, no, nah, this is not happening for the Clippers tonight. You know, I, I at least I could. You know, even though the score was kind of tight for a while, they just they were so tight, they were so anxious, they were so it it, it felt like they knew they're really amped up to beat the Warriors, and they played like it. They were just all over the yeah. place, tight wise. And to me, like what what that game showed is that when the Warriors' defense wants to be what the Warriors' defense wants to be, like that is still a devastating unit. And the Clippers have this very patterned, you know, offense that has all this really good stuff. And the Warriors just switch, and it doesn't do anything. Like Blake Griffin was just totally lost in that game. He was awful. Yeah, he was also shook because his his mark on on defense was Durant, who. I mean, there was a play. He went direct right around him with just kind of like a jab, a jab crossover, if you will. He swung the ball right through, took one dribble, just got his body in front of him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the yeah, second yeah. quarter. Yeah, I mean, Durant didn't even have that great of a game. He, he, it he was didn't, just but it occupies. It, I think it takes so much out of a team to have to try to play defense against Golden State that then offensively uh, they're not as good. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's yeah, part I of actually it. think the cause and effect went the other way, though. I think yeah. that team. They they were just trying so hard and just so uh, – it's almost like their clenched fists and their yeah. clenched mouths to kind of like attack the Warriors the way that they're attacking. And Griffin ended up just kind of banging and banging and banging into a, a door that would never fall. And so what, what makes the Warriors so unique is that they can switch so much stuff. Right. And so you can put Clay on Blake. You can do all this – all this and the Clippers have this offense that is so patterned around this series of movements. They don't have a great shooting team. 
You know, they right. have a great shooter at the two. And then the rest of that team is not really natural shooters. You know, Luke Bamute, not a shooter. Blake Griffin, not oh, a shooter. Um, Luke. Luke. Luke was awful last night. Yeah, well, that's, Poor guy. that's the thing. Like, he has limitations. And so they compensate for that with this dizzying array of movement. And they take these little creases and take advantage of them. And the Warriors just don't give you the creases when they're switching and really locked in. Yeah. And in that game, they were locked in. And so... I think they just had Blake Griffin like totally bamboozled and flummoxed. He had no idea where the doubles were coming. He was trying very old school methods to break him. He was trying to back down Draymond Green. That didn't work. And then you had, they would double and Durant would come with the seven foot wingspan. There was a play in the third quarter. I think the first play in the third quarter where the Clippers got the switch. So Clay is on Blake. He backs down, backs down, backs down. Durant comes from off Bamute and he just sticks his arms high in the air. And Blake's kind of thinking like in this automatic read, like, okay, that guy comes. Like, I know that Luke is open. I know that if they kind of go to Luke, I can fake to Luke and get back to Chris Paul or whatever. And then as soon as he's making that decision, like Durant just sticks his arms in the air and it's just so much. (laughs) It's like there's nowhere to look. And so that happens, and Steph Curry stays at home, and Blake Griffin throws the ball right to Steph Curry. And that was the entire night. And I think the Clippers' offense has kind of quietly been a little stuck in second gear for a couple weeks. Um, We talked a little – they were a little out of form, and it sort of paid for it. And I think once bad stuff starts to happen, it really spirals for that team. Yeah, they wear it, and then they get mad at the refs, and Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, you know – it might be displaced anger happening, um, if you will, and and that's obviously taking you out of your rhythm as a player. It has to, but they, they looked. Um, the Clippers looked like they wanted to assert themselves, like uh, physically in the first five six minutes. There were like two or three putback dunks. Even when Blake uh, had the putback where he like put his hand over Draymond's face, it was foul mm-hmm. kind of, which was anyhow that dunk there. Like you felt like they were just, the only points they were getting were like that that meant something to them were these like put back dunks and the offense was where they were running was terrible there was so much just waiting and dribbling and this is part of it too is that when rivers is in the game with crawford they know they don't really have to pay much attention to rivers you can like let him shoot and crawford obviously if he has the ball is going to dribble so that creates two guys who are just dribbling and that offense got mm-hmm. super stale in the second unit and the warriors second unit has like incredible offensive flow like as good as any starting unit in the nba well it's because it's barely a second unit it's, right you got have Durant you, in it or clay in it you yeah. have two of the stars all the yeah. time yeah. at once yeah. yeah i mean that's exactly for sure and it's i want to say something else too which is unique about the clippers warriors game uh, is that and i was thinking about this last night as i was watching it uh, of the top 30 players in the nba 25 players in the nba how many of them were in the game last night mike probably seven you're right, right. Exactly. Highest yeah. ratio of any game, right? Maybe other than Cavs, Warriors yeah. too. I would say the Cavs probably have three of the top 25 right now with the way Kevin Love is playing. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Love's playing guys. great. He's, he's, great. He's Minnesota Love. We'll do another yeah. podcast on that later. Yeah, um, so, but no, absolutely. Yeah. I, think, I think that's a big factor as well. Right. But it's like, but that like that feel though, when really good players play against each other, um, and you can see the kind of the the way that the, the flow wanted to go, and Rivers kind of couldn't really adjust schematically, which is not necessarily a strength of his. I want to ask you what you, your thoughts on tactically X's and O's. Other than the fact that the Warriors' defense was really good, what else did you see within the flow of the game? Maybe on both ends, offensively now for the Warriors that that Rivers didn't really adjust to, uh, or or the Clippers in general. I, I think their offense, the Clippers, has just been a little stuck for a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. there are times when it really moves quick and flows, and it just hasn't for a little bit. And then against a team where every you know, you develop this flow because you create a little advantage with this screen or that screen or that guy moving or that guy tilting the defense that way. And so it opens a little opening. And then if you're a really good offense, what you do is you'll take that opening and you'll leverage it into really fast openings. You know, sure. The very best offenses are the ones that can create that little seam and then just kind of capitalize on it. You know, the Cavs do it because they have these great one-on-one players. And so you can never guard them one-on-one. And then once you create the team, they have all these shooters. And the Clippers, though, they've kind of done it through motion, misdirection, all this stuff. Uh, and it's hard to do that when you never get that – when you never get that opening in the first place because the team will just kind of switch and they can do that. It's, it's really hard, I think, for the Clippers to kind of get – the sort of things they need because they don't have natural shooters. They don't have, you know, natural great passers. They have two big guys that 
are best inside, even though Blake has stepped out. You know, they yeah. have some they have some good passers. So they, they really have to work hard to kind of they've they've got this routine that they've built to create this. And I agree. I, 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 real, real quick on the Blake being inside part. Do you, I, I see so much um, Ibaka in the sense that like he, they were both better down low, different in so far as why they're moving farther back, I suppose, because Ibaka is athletically declining now. Yeah. And I mean, Ibaka's played really well for him. But he's been very he, good. You he know. can shoot the three now. For sure, for sure. But he and never Blake, could score like Blake could inside. Like, he exactly. never had any moves. Blake has every move in the post. He also passes tremendously out of it. And that, that in itself opens up a lot of open lanes. But uh, oh, go ahead. But yeah, saying. no, but you, if you never create the opening in the first place, like, what do you have exactly? And so yeah. I think what they started to do is that, you know, when they saw the switch, they were just do the kind of very standard, like, okay, let's throw the ball into the big guy posting up and let's stand around and let's. Let's not I think what they need to do is that they need to look at what happened and they have to try to be much more decisive as the Warriors are switching because one of the reasons I think you don't see more teams switch as successfully as the Warriors one is that because they don't have the same like size players and you know we're seeing more teams doing it but the other is that it's it's not so easy to just kind of switch you know it has to be it, even the act of like switching assignments creates this like momentary opening that you know the Warriors are just so good at closing by just doing it so seamlessly. And so what you have to do is what a lot of teams I think are figuring out how to do is that when they can sense that a switch is happening, they'll do something. I think the the Knicks with Porzingis do a good job of this. Like they'll they'll change the angle of the screen. They'll pop a guy a certain way so that they kind of catch you mid switch. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers just did not have the sort of pace within their half-court system to do that. And they've got to develop it, and that's not so easy to do. And it's especially hard because the Warriors make it so hard. But, you know, you saw the limitations of, like, when you when there was a switch, it's just like, let's, let's throw it in the post and let's do it slowly and let's stand around. And that plays right in the Warriors' hands. And I think Chris Paul's got to do more than what he did to kind of initiate that. I, he hasn't really quite looked right in the last couple of weeks either. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul wears a lot of punishment from a career on his body throughout uh, every. It feels like every game in the last three, four years. Um, he, when he's fresh, there is a, a visible difference in how he plays. But I'm not sure he's fully recovered from last year's injuries either. But that, no. that's I know again. But that's these are things that um, were happening before you know games before in your estimate here too, where they had right. kind of been sluggish, and then they play a team like the Warriors, and it just gets completely you know exacerbated. Yeah, and that's why I'm not overreacting to this one way or the other. Right. I mean, let to use a another soccer analogy that's going to kill all our readers, our listenership, I'm sure, and nobody yep. will hear this. Like so I, one thing I've learned from watching soccer a lot is that that is a long ass season, and yep. there are just some times where a team is on a really good run of form, and there are other times where a team is just like kind of a little stuck the flow is a little off and it's everybody kind of overreacts one way or the other and it eventually usually turns around you know sometimes you just have these stretches and like what's always funny to me is like when the champions leagues happens like real madrid i don't think it was like the best team in the world last year it's just that it's a timing thing like when the quarterfinals happened barcelona happened to be going through having a weird run of bad form and it was bad timing and like when i look at this game you see the Clippers had this amazing run of form to start the year that just never was going to be able to sustain. They, Their defense was never going to be able to defend that well. Their offense, they had kind of taken advantage of being together for a while, and they were never going to be able to sustain that. And now they're sort of in a little bit of a, you know, the flow is a little bit off. And for a team that relies a lot on that, that matters. And that will be the case for a temporary state. Uh, meanwhile, on the other hand, the Warriors is sort of the opposite. Like they needed some time to get used to each other. Now the flow is like absolutely perfect, and it does yeah. not mean that in six months they will be in the same position. It's just it's sometimes a game. It's timing, and the yeah, timing yeah. of this game was that the Clippers were a little out of rhythm, and the Warriors were really locked in for whatever reason. And those things can kind of be fickle and can come and go. And so I, I wouldn't close the book on the Clippers potentially challenging the Warriors. Obviously, the Warriors are the favorites, and they should be. But you know, this form could pass for both of these teams. I guess is sort of what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and you know the West is is shaping up to have uh, some very interesting teams, 
it's almost like a it, I look at the West as like a video game with like a bracket of individual players, basically uh, of incredible, amazing individual talent. You start by Houston and, and Oklahoma City. I just want to see how those individual players play in the playoffs. But then uh, the Spurs and Warriors and Clippers as teams are, have so much talent together and, and it's going to be fun to watch. But yeah, we, we, we should we'd be remiss if, if, if we um, if we didn't talk about something else pertaining to Chris Paul while we're here on Chris Paul. On this, the anniversary. When you listen to this, it's Thursday. Uh, I don't know what today's date is. It's the eighth of December, um, and yeah, and so so this is the anniversary of um, the veto. I guess the that's veto. the best way. The, the veto. Five year anniversary of the veto, the basketball reasons veto. Uh, five years ago today, uh, as we record this, you're going to listen to it a day later. But five years ago today, uh, David Stern vetoed, uh, although he in a semantic argument a couple days ago said it wasn't a veto. The trade that would have sent Chris Paul to the Lakers was uh, nixed by David Stern. And then six days later, Chris Paul was traded to the Clippers instead. And you were, we were talking a little bit beforehand, but this you don't think this is as unprecedented as I do. Like I, I can't remember a commissioner who, oh, of course, he, he did that because he was the nominal owner of the New Orleans Hornets because the NBA, the league bought the team off George Shin thinking that they would sell it to build it up and then sell it back to keep it in New Orleans. But in this interim state, technically David Stern was the owner of the Hornets. And so he had the power to do this. You know, this is unprecedented to me, but you don't think so? Or do do you think so? No, unprecedented in a sense that I I guess what I'm thinking is that in other sports, like I had mentioned the Sabres at one point, the league, I believe at one point took over the, Islanders, maybe the Penguins, like I mean, the Nationals been, as well, or the yeah, Expos, excuse me. Expos, that's right, that's right. And so this has happened in other sports, in which case the league has to truly look out for the, like you said, the 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 value in the team, the dollars. And that is in long-term prospects, not immediate. They're buying something they can have that obviously they'd like to, uh, you know, um, uh, whatever the word is, get more expensive. Um, whatever, what's, whatever, what's the proper word for that? I'm blanking on it. Mature. Increase the uh, valuation. Yeah, yeah, whatever it would be. Yes, exactly. And so that means prospects. That means picks. That means um, things that could, in the next five to ten years, have evaluations on them. That's right. And so uh, that does, you know, I think in the best interest uh, for the Sabres, if they got rid of all of their best players, I remember that, and they got a lot of picks. That equaled, you know, Jack Eichel now is one of their best players, one of the best young players in all of hockey, right? Like, that's the thing. And, and that's ultimately, isn't that what David Stern did, though? If that's well, if, his, well, yes. if his description of the, of the veto is that there, what the trade was never actually done because I am was the owner in yeah, law. So, I mean, he's a lawyer. He's a you know we should point that out. So here, um, here here's what he said two days ago. He was speaking to a group of students at uh, Marist University and Columbia uh, in New York. Um, obviously, he's sort of kind of retired and he's off and around. He said, "Quote: What cancellation? Uh, the GM was not authorized to make that trade." And acting on behalf of owners, we decided not to make it. I was an owner rep. There was nothing to void. It just never got made. Um, and then he, this is the part that I thought was a little ridiculous. As he said, <laughs> well, when you're the commissioner and you have two teams that are ticked off at you, as in the Lakers in Houston, because remember, the Rockets were supposed to get Pau Gasol in that trade. Right. The GMs, without wanting to be attributed, spend their time trashing you. The wrong impression can be granted. It was one of those few times I decided to go radio silent and let it play out, and I got killed. So the answer is there's never a trade. It was never approved by me as an owner rep. I don't know. To me, this is a little disingenuous. Like, What makes yeah. the situation particularly incredible is that Chris Paul at the time was like a top three, top four player in the league. I mean, how many times have these teams that have been taken over by ownership like had the responsibility to manage the situation there? for? And so... The, That's then, true. And then when, the, true. when it came to this trade, the basketball operations of the team decided that this was the best trade. I mean, we can look – we can debate until the heavens about whether this was the best trade. The original trade would have given Lamar Odom, Goran Dragic, Luis Scola, Kevin Martin, and a f- mid-first-round pick. Five to, years ago, mind you, everybody. Five, five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. So – and instead they got uh, Eric Gordon, Alpha Rukamita, Chris Kamen, and a much more uh, lucrative pick, but that somehow turned into Austin Rivers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> – it, we can talk for as long as we want about uh, you know which trade was better, which trade was worse, whatever. But it's impossible to, to like kind of deny the possibility that as the owner of the Pelican, of the Hornets and the owner of the Commissioners, there's a conflict of interest there that is it's mighty coincidental that the trade that was 
vetoed was one of the Lakers. That yeah, one that would have made the Lakers better. One that all these small market owners whined and cried about about how the how could you let the Lakers have this deal? And now you see who, the who were the most vocal owners. Cuban, I know, was one. Dan of them. Gilbert sent a letter about Gilbert how, sent a letter. That's right. That's right. You know about and Stern has consistently denied. I guess that that um that influenced him. That was it. But like, come on, of course it influenced him. And, and even if it didn't, the appearance of the person who's in charge of stewarding the league also being in charge of stewarding a team in a situation yeah, where you're sending a superstar to a marquee market in the Lakers, like how is that not a major conflict? How is that? There's, there's an analogy to be made here and we're not going to make it, but I totally agree. Massive conflict of interest. Massive. I agree. And so it's if a I'm a Lakers well. fan, I am still yeah. pissed about this. Like, of course. I, and and of course. I think you have every right to be. I agree. I For sure. It's one of those things that's ironic in so many places. It gives me a headache almost. So let's say the first point of irony is that Dan Gilbert, a billionaire, is like complaining about small like, – <laughs> like that, that, that's not fair for that team over there that has millions of dollars also. Like get, stop it, Dan Gilbert. Right. You are the last, the last person to complain about that stuff. Also, the Cavs have had the most unprecedented luck in NBA history. So just be quiet. The greatest player ever was born in your state and that's why you got him. Mm-hmm. Multiple times, twice. Uh, <laughs> <exactly. sighs> Anyhow, that happened. Second point of uh, of irony is that every good thing ever that could happen to the Lakers has happened to the Lakers. Think about it. The league controlled. I don't know. The Hornets say back when they were trading Vladi Divac for Kobe Bryant or the pick that became Kobe Bryant. Like that's stupid. And 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 if you could go and rewrite history here, these are stupid things. Um, both of them, but in different ways. And the veto itself is one of those things where Stern had probably gotten to a point where he knew he was retiring five years ago i'm gonna throw that out there and was probably just like i mean i wasn't at wasn't at that point had he announced it yet i mean had silver yeah. silver basically ran the lockout yes the league that's side. right and that was that's right perfect and Good. this was so, coming so right out matter. i mean also duck. and this is also coming right out of the lockout where one of the big complaints was that the three heatles were able to cluster on the heat Yes. So yes. this was – I mean this is why the conflict of interest is so – I mean he basically played – if you think about it, the Stern basically played God with the concept of kind of picking and choosing which team he wanted to enrich and not enrich. <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's that's where I think – It also that, like it, it changed the trajectory of – another team in Houston. You mentioned the Gasol thing. Like that was right on the heels of Yao Ming if we're going back in history. So like yeah. – yeah. I mean, yeah. we have this great piece that uh, our guy Christian, who was on last week, wrote about. If you're talking about just the teams, the ripple effects of what this deal meant for the teams. I mean, there's also the much sadder story of Lamar Odom. Um, this was started the start of his downward spiral. I mean, the and um, the Houston. I mean, but the other sort of funny thing about the Houston side is, of course, if they trade for Gasol, they probably don't get James Harden. So there's so many ripple effects you can analyze. The 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 thing that's like most amazing, though, is that it basically switched the balance of power in Los Angeles. That's right. That's and right. The, la- it, the long-term effect is that. Right. And the laughingstock Clippers are now the team that is, you know, they, they don't own Los Angeles. The Lakers will always own Los Angeles, but they're the more successful team. They're the team with the best chance to win the title, the best players. Tom had this great chart today, Tom Ziller. It, the, you look, there's like basically a squiggly line that represents the Lakers' record. Uh, and then there's a squiggly line that represents the Clippers record over this right. time. And only in the last few years has the Clippers ever consistently been above the Lakers. And that, I mean, it basically, and, and you think about the downward spiral that happened to the Lakers franchise over the next few years. You think about what it meant for Kobe Bryant. I mean, if, if you have Chris Paul, you may get Dwight Howard too. And then you have the Chris Paul, Kobe, Dwight super team. And, you know, maybe egos break. They, up, would, but, uh, they would have eaten each other's heads. It's possible. Oh, those three men? Come on. The, do, could you imagine Chris Paul and Dwight Howard playing together? That's like a fusion bomb. Yeah. I mean, look, that could very well have happened. But on paper, okay. like that team yes. is, is a super team. And more no so doubt. than the, the Nash super team when Nash was just not what Nash. And Kobe maybe wins another ring. And we totally think of him differently. And maybe he'd be more willing to sacrifice for Chris Paul. I mean, that that whole thing, like it just changed the entire trajectory of like those two franchises. It just basically flipped history and it all because of this massive conflict of interest that everybody should have seen coming. Like Tom was writing about this well before it happened, the conflict of interest and lo and behold, it happened. And with the owner of the NBA, like the commissioner of the NBA, who's got to have all the entire league's interest at heart, uh, 
playing God and as an owner of a franchise. And that's, yeah. that's the thing that I think is really crazy and amazing about this five years later. That's what we're going to remember for the next ten for the ten year anniversary for the fifteen year anniversary, uh, I don't think we're ever going to see a situation like that again. Especially because now the league is in a great place, and you never need the league to buy a struggling franchise. Of course, you know, off of course anyone. Great investment. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah, it's part of Stern's lasting legacy. I mean, that's <laughs> the guy who was the most influential commissioner, one of one of the most influential commissioners in the history of the big four sports in America, uh, and that's part of his legacy. That in Seattle, I think, are the two ones where you look yeah. at him, and if, if you're a fan of those teams, you you don't see him in the same way. And like, no it, doubt, it's no weird doubt. to say that Lakers fans, like, I mean, they're very spoiled. They've had a great history, but like that, they got they got kind of screwed there, like in that situation. When you think about it, yeah, yeah. I mean, they also they also could have had you know Carl Anthony Towns or Wiggins already too, just like the Sixers, but they're both on Minnesota and it towns more so than Wiggins, obviously, but like ping pong balls, all those different little things. But this is one of those man-made creations that, uh, for sure. And by the way, everyone should read the uh, Christian, uh, Winfield's piece uh, on SB nation that he did on this. It makes it a lot more clear of how big this was in the grand scheme of it. I'm downplaying it kind of almost to play devil's advocate here in a way, because uh, if you read this piece, you'll see it is a, is a massive, uh, spread chart of, of yeah. sort of how, I mean, how it works. The last thing, of course, is that if New Orleans makes that first trade, they're probably too good to be in the lottery, and they probably don't get Anthony Davis. So yeah, I mean, no there's AD. so much that happened with that deal. Uh, for sure. Um, one more pivot point from the Warriors-Clippers game to go back to the Warriors for a sec uh, while we have a, another couple minutes to go. Um, we're also going to have a second part to this kind of, everybody, where we're going to have an interview. We're going to have a, we're gonna talk Giannis. Uh, Mike, say his last name. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Boom. With uh, our friend Frank Madden, you remember him from our preview pod. Uh, we're yep. going to talk about the Giannis phenomenon because he is the most fascinating player to me to watch in the league. They're just, and just in terms of things he does that nobody I can remember has ever done is just it's almost like mind boggling just watching him do those things. Uh, oh, so absolutely. We're going to talk about that, but you want to talk about the Warriors again? Yeah, I just wanted to get to Clay real quick because a few days ago, like earlier this week, uh, he had sixty points in. Of of ninety seconds of having the basketball in his hands, I believe. Wild stat that is. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> that ever happening ever before? No, no, of course not. That's There's insane. A, it's a forty eight minute game, right? And he had the ball for like about one fortieth of the game. Yeah, he didn't play right. many minutes either. Right, I guess that's true. Yeah, he only played 29 minutes. So. Yeah, 60 points in 29 minutes, if you want to break this down more simplistically, is absolutely insane. I mean, I highly recommend if people have not watched that game, and I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you have watched at least maybe the YouTube 10-minute uh, uh, highlights, but you should check it out because it is video game-like. And the, the funniest part when you watch the highlights of of the 60, Mike, is that the, sh- the game clock is barely moving as the points for him are going up. It's like <laughs> it's possession by possession. Yeah. Um, so here, another crazy stat, he dribbled 11 times in that game. Oh, it's crazy. 11. Like when Kobe had 81, what were the stats on? I, I, I would love he- – I want to say he held the ball for like I think someone put the stat out. Let me see if I can go find it. I think it was in the four like four hundred seconds. Um, I mean that's tremendous. Um, I mean, let me Kobe see if I can find. A- I think someone it might have been Tom Haberstroh that put it out. Let me see if I can again. I can go. Yeah. Well, I'll say that I remember watching that game and I felt like Kobe had the ball for basically the entire second half. Um, so he was fully aware of what he was going for. So in that regard, we're probably looking at multiple minutes here. Nin- Ninety seconds is just something completely unfathomable Um, because how do you even get in a flow? He's basically just catching and shooting. And again, for 29 minutes total of a game is um, for 60. I don't know if there's usage rates or PER things for that. uh, uh, The mic that we were also not digging up, but anybody who hasn't seen it, go watch it. Yeah. All right. Sorry. It was from uh, Richard, you know, Yano on Twitter. Clay had the ball for 90 seconds uh, in the other 60 point games of the sport view era. So not the 81, uh, because it goes back too far. Kobe had the ball for 400 seconds, LeBron for 390, Carmelo Anthony for 240. Wow. Well, no, no 240s. Far less, though, still. Um, we have two questions, two fan questions real quick. Ranger Rags, we'll get to because uh, he sends us uh, good questions every week. We appreciate it. Uh, is there another player that you can think of uh, that, uh, if put in the same situation as uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, could average a triple-double? James Harden. It's really about it. I mean, if you switch them, it's, it's always the fascinating thing. And they actually play tonight, 
Um, ah, you know, Thursday, on ESPN. Yeah. No, 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 they play uh, Friday night. Friday uh, night. Okay. Tonight is in tonight when you're listening. Yes. Um, oh. Yeah. You just, I, adju- you just adjusted for the. Threw me off. Go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well done. It is actually tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> it's always tomorrow somewhere. It's true. It's true. <laughs> in the world. Uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, maybe James Harden. I don't know if there's anyone else. I mean, if someone else could have done it, they probably would have done it already, right? Yeah. I feel like that's probably true. Um, I'd say maybe Durant if it was just him, but back on on uh, uh, Oklahoma City. Um, last question here: uh, Timberwolves Min uh, at Timberwolves Min. Appreciate the uh, the question here, uh, Mike. Are the Lakers and Bulls back to what we expected after a surprising hot start, or just a small bump and they'll figure it out? I think the Lakers have injuries and they've been on long road trips. So that explains what happened to them. You know, Russell is out. Nick Young is out. Uh, Randall's been in and out of the lineup. Larry Nance missed a couple games. Uh, so when you combine that with the fact that they're on the road, I, I, I don't think there's really like sort of like, aha, the Lakers were over their heads. I think they're just injured. So I think that's what's going on with them. I, Chicago, there's a little bit of that. Their shooting is off. They're not shooting the same way. Um, but also – like they're still pretty strong defensively. They still move the ball. They still have Jimmy Butler. Like I think they will be generally okay. I mean, I think there are some elements of what the Bulls did at the very beginning of the year that yes, they're back to kind of more what we thought they were. But yeah, uh, you know, overall, like I don't see them defending at a worse level. I think what's nice about them is that they have that just such great basket protection and rebounding. I think that'll hold up. It's just that it turns out they're not actually good shooters, which is what we kind of figured. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Because I'm watching the, the Bulls the other night, um, thinking to myself, it's probably the Celtics game. Uh, was that the, like maybe last week? Is that right? Uh, when did the Bulls and Celtics last play? So I've been watching so much basketball this week. My brain is completely fried in terms of days watched, of the week. We watch too much basketball to keep. Yeah, yeah sorry, everybody. everybody. Uh, no, literally, the nights of the week when I've watched certain games, I, I cannot pinpoint anymore it's like when i was like working for ea sports uh, and we were in hotels i was gone for 60 days straight on the road and uh we'd go in and out of a hotel room and then you'd leave you'd walk down the hall maybe you forgot something you turn around and i'd have no idea which one was my my room i would just like oh god i became like hotel room blind from being <laughs> just in so many different hotel rooms for 60 days what was your favorite hotel on the road um had? Uh, there was a W in Dallas that was really nice. I liked it. It was, it was a pretty modern, very new uh, W down there. That was that was cool. Dallas was actually a pretty cool city. I have to have to say, very very new. Everything was like sparkling new and clean. Yeah. Um, which was which was fine. Um, San Antonio I liked too, but we you know, hotel there wasn't fantastic or anything. But uh, I actually had a good time in Texas, which kind of made me feel. You should move. Weird. <laughs> I should, right? Yeah. And honestly, yeah. I'm living in the most expensive place in the world here in Park Slope, and it could be saving yeah. money and living with like a pool in my backyard in Dallas. Yeah. So the Bulls have not played the Celtics recently, but they yeah. have lost four okay. or five. They okay. Then they and four of those are at or three of those are at home or two of those are at home. They had a weird loss to Dallas that, of course, had the Rondo suspension. I think it's fairly clear that Rondo is not a good fit there. And if you just replace him with someone else, things would be a lot better. But, you know, McDermott's been injured. He's coming back. Uh, he had so, a concussion? Yeah, he had a concussion. Carter Williams will come back soon. That might – maybe he's – I don't think he'll fit in all that much better, but maybe they – they had like a very tough. They had a five and six stretch or something. They got San Antonio Thursday night uh, while we're recording, and they've got a long home stand. I think they'll be okay, but yeah, I mean, I think we all knew they wouldn't be able to shoot this well, and I think that is as they did at the beginning of the year, and that has sort of fallen back to earth. So, yeah, and they're eleven and ten. We should say, which is you know, in the Eastern Conference, eleven and ten is a game and a half out of third, uh, and. Uh, a game out of being in ninth. So it's tight. It's still a lot to play. And I think they're situated in a decent spot for the run here too, as well, uh, which is going to be a long season in the East, all the teams, um, even the wizards who currently sit, you know, three games out of the playoffs, if you nah, will, they're, they're done. They're third to last in the East. That's how close everything is. Yeah. yeah. Now they're just, done. Just trying to make a point. <laughs> just trying they're to make a done. point. They're as done. a Wow. It's over. Are we, are we putting a, that Orlando a game was it. That, that was it. Orlando's been playing better lately though. I, I Who was the one that picked Orlando to make the playoffs? Yeah, Who yeah, was wow. the one? How many I've been times holding on to that pick. <laughs> <laughs> Serge Ibaka looking really good recently, by the way. I, yeah. I tell you guys, he's good. Like, you know, that, that makes a difference. They figured out, like, that Alfred Payton off the bench is working. And, 
He had a heck of a game against uh, the the Wizards. He did, yeah. Um, Nick Vucic off the bench is working like, hey, I mean, some idiot said they make the playoffs. So, you know, maybe not so much of an idiot after all. Meanwhile, Atlanta, the team that I thought would get would would get bumped for Orlando also kind of playing like crap. Yeah, they're two and so eight in their last it's ten. It's all it's all coming up, Mike. It's all coming up, Mike. Yeah, you did have Clippers over as your best bet. Fifty six and a half wins was there, Fred. Fifty three? Uh, Fifty three. That's still looking good. Yeah, it's looking good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other ones which were a little up in the air, but we'll we'll relook at those like a month or two from now, uh, when there's more than like twenty games played, twenty two games played per team. Um Okay, cool. So this was kind of the first half, like we said. Uh, let's next get to Frank. Part, let's get to the next part with Frank, and um, we'll see you in that uh, in that conversation. Shut up and sit down. All right, hi guys. We're back. Uh, we're with Frank Madden, the editor of Brew Hoop SB Nation's Bucks blog, also the host of the Lucked On Box podcast. And I really wanted to bring you on, Frank, because I'm really jealous of you right now. Really jealous <laughs> that you get to root for Giannis Antetokounmpo's team because, my God, that guy is so much fun. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, we were talking before we went on. I've been a fan for. About 25 years. So I'm I'm 35, um, and you know it, it's strange if if you're in my age or if you started following the Bucks after I don't know. I mean, maybe you could argue Sidney Moncrief was awesome for a while, or <laughs> going back, Mark Marcus Johnson had a pretty awesome few years. But um, I mean, the numbers that Giannis is putting up as a, a just turned 22 year old. You know, you do the basketball reference play index search on a guy averaging you know 20 plus points and almost nine rebounds, six assists, two blocks, two steals. That guy doesn't exist in the database. (laughs) So, um, you know, the numbers he put up after the All-Star break last year were kind of a hint at this, Um, but he stepped up the scoring even even beyond where he was last last spring in in the kind of, I think it was like a 28-game span or something like that. Um, He averaged around 19 in that period, and and he wasn't at, you know, two-plus steals and blocks. Um, So he's just kind of graduated from, you know, fun, productive young player to, I mean, I think everybody in the last couple of weeks has sort of realized he's a lock all-star at this point. And, you know, I think he's, he's in this conversation of top 10 to 15 type type player. And it's, um, and that's saying something, because obviously this year we've seen a lot of awesome performances and um, his impact on both ends. And, you know, you look at the, you know, his RPM and, you know, box score plus minus, all this stuff is just incredible. So, um, so yeah, we're kind of like pinching ourselves a little bit as in, in, in Bucks Nation. Um, but uh, obviously I feel like, uh, I feel like it's, it's well-deserved after a couple decades of suffering. So, so you mentioned that he started to make this jump like midway through last season, right? And we kind of had this this expectation that that hopefully he would carry it into this year. I know Mike is someone who, who has always been interested in, in the kind of the the Swiss Army knife of skill set that he has for someone in his very unique body frame, right? Where have you seen the the next step that he's taken this year in particular? Like, is it the offensive, defensive? Where, where are we looking uh, at leadership? Like you mentioned, where specifically, uh, if you could talk us through, you're seeing the biggest improvements. It's kind of funny. Uh, I'll start with an area we haven't seen improvement. And for the last couple of years, the whole premise of Giannis taking that leap into stardom was, well, when he gets a jump shot, then, oh, you know, then he'll he'll be able to kind of that's going to happen. And if that if that happens, then he can make this leap into being a star. And I mean, the, the great irony is that. You know, he was a 34 point, like 8% three point shooter on a decent number of attempts as a rookie. Uh, and then he's been far worse than that ever since. And <laughs> he really hasn't shown, you know, any kind of consistent improvement, uh, especially from three since then. But everything else has just matured so significantly. And, um, you know, he's obviously developed to the point where in transition he has so much confidence. And, you know, he's going to throw, you know, he, he's got that those long strides and, you know, he can Euro step you either way and use both hands very easily. I mean, that, that, you know, I think last year he had almost as many left handed dunks as right handed dunks because I, I actually watched all 141 of them once on a, on a YouTube mix. Uh, I, I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> God damn it. Why didn't I think of doing that? <laughs> um, 
So there's, hey, still, got, there's still time, Mike. It's you. I, I know what I'm doing Port- the rest of the night. <laughs> Otto Porter's having a having a solid season. He's don't, no, don't um, do that to me. Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think I think that's it. You know, so um, the fact that he is able to you know attack the rim and and he has you know just sort of developed and and in many ways it's an unorthodox style, which probably you know again works to his advantage because teams aren't used to seeing guys his size who want to put the ball on the floor and, and attack the rim like he does and um, and have these, you know, <laughs> all these weird moves that, um, you know, sometimes look kind of awkward. He'll sometimes kind of slow his steps down to, you know, just again, kind of change of pace guys in, in, in weird ways. So um, and he's totally able to jump agree. off. Yeah, and he's able to go off of both feet really well and, and finish with both hands. So it's just kind of it's just sort of, um, you know, I think offensive, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, in terms of playmaking, he's always been uh, an unselfish guy. You know, I think a lot of people talked about him being a, a kind of a you know, having the point guard skills from when he was a you know a teenager in Greece playing in that you know rec league or whatever on on old VHS uh, recorded games. Um, but uh, you know, and and we've seen that obviously with the ball in his hands more. But um, you know, it's not like he's bringing the ball up every time. I think I don't think he should. Um, you know, I think that effort isn't necessarily worth his, his the time worth it all the time. But he does bring the ball up a lot. Um, but he does touch the ball at the elbow a lot, and they're finding kind of different ways to kind of work him into the offense. He, I think he's developed a very nice understanding with um, Matthew Delvadova. I think the last time I checked, he was the best uh, points per play guy on synergy in terms of pick and roll finishing, which not a big volume, but, um, but he's a guy that, that has done that. And, and obviously he's the guy who can also um, be a pick and roll ball handler. So, um, so yeah, just sort of the complete package developing. And I think um, defensively, it, he's also finally begun to realize his potential as really an impact player, not necessarily as like a, you know, lockdown one-on-one perimeter defender, but I think playing oftentimes against power forwards and being able to be kind of a free safety um, on the weak side. He's just using that length to, you know, as, as well as you could hope really as a, as a shot blocker, um, getting passing lanes and just being really disruptive with all that length. He's a great avatar for what this Bucks team is supposed to be because, I think, like you said, there it, it's not like there's like been the obvious like oh he added this to his game right he just kind of grew bigger grew taller grew smarter grew more able to do so many more different things and like when I think of his defense a lot he's just like all over the place he just is running 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 and it's it's one thing like a lot of guys like kind of run around a lot and just cover a lot of ground but it's not he's also covering a lot of ground and he is really covering a lot of ground he is like a, yeah he is like a super size he's almost like like in those space jam commercials he's almost like one of those monsters because he moves just as fast as a little little guy but he's such a super sized player and i remember seeing uh, what what always drew me to him was just there was this play i think you probably remember this play he made against uh, miami i think his second year in the league where it was the first time that he kind of took the ball coast to coast and he picked up his dribble at 30 feet away, two steps layup. And I remember writing a whole piece about that and saying, yo, this dude is changing the game. Like nobody does this. And now it's like incredibly common. There's a play even the, last night that I think I tweeted out that there are three Blazers that are packing the middle of the lane back on a one on three. And he just like two steps and he's right between all of them. And like nobody's. I don't think even LeBron has ever done it this way. And, like, that's the thing that draws me to him. He's just – it's – yes, the analytics and the numbers and the triple doubles and all this stuff. But, like, stylistically, this guy is so one of a kind. It's it's almost – I mean, I know, like, as a Bucks fan, you eventually have to worry about, like, how effective is this and, like, if you can just pack the lane on him and blah, 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 blah. But as a neutral, it's like I am literally seeing something I have never seen before watching basketball. I like, I like the way he carves the court up. It's like one big Euro step kind of. He's just yeah. every every angle is deliberate and the stride is so much longer so he's past you. And it's it's a uh, it's it's different than what like Westbrook does to get past people. That's more speed, but it's similar that it's similar in that it's like the direct angle that you need to be on and he's he's very interesting uh to see mature as he learns the game from from an even more time and space purpose too. Like as you get more reps and you figure out the game and you have that athleticism. And he's, he just turned 22 two days ago, which is the most mind-blowing part of this. There are this rookies a, older than him. Yeah, oh, plenty of them. Pl- plenty of them. There's, there's lots of guys. Joel Embiid's older than him, I think. So, I mean, just to put some context on, on making myself sad for a minute. I wow. believe Joel Embiid's 22. Yeah, yeah, right. I think that's, he's twenty two or twenty three because he's he was yeah, a year older than yeah. than his draft class. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he, the year of eligibility when he came over to uh, Mount Verde, he's he's twenty two now, March sixteenth. So yeah, he's older. Um, 
Which is just interesting because I mean, you said about he he was growing. He grew up until what, like last year? Is that a I mean, year ago? Could still, be still, still growing. Yeah. He still could be growing. I mean, so as a as a Buxton, as a neutral, I've always been fascinated. I think you could speak more to this, Frank. About it's almost like when you have this lump of uh, this type of player, it's so hard to figure out what he is. And Jason Kidd, I think it took him. They they thought about him as point guard. I remember after a second year, and it didn't quite work. And then they finally they did it at the in the middle of last year and then carried it over to this year. And obviously, like you said, it's not quite like a point guard because Delvadova can handle the ball. Um, but why do you think that that was handled the right way in that not too much too soon? And like, what's, what's the, it, it's a unique challenge. Obviously it's a good problem to have, but it's still a little tricky to figure out what he is even now. And Jason, how, how do you do that if you're Jason Kidd? Yeah, I think the point stuff started really, uh, I think it was um, before his second season in summer league. So he didn't have his first summer league because he was playing for the Greek uh, junior team at the time. But um, he and Jabari played together in Jabari's rookie year. So his second year and, and they put the ball in Giannis's hands and had him run pick and rolls and things like that, which, you know, now, I mean, it's kind of common now to try to put big guys and, and have them like Trey Lyles. Oh, they're trying to put him, make him, you know, be a ball handler in, in the Rocky Mount Review or whatever it was. Um but that that was kind of where the novelty started a little bit. But then it really didn't. We really didn't see it. Um, that see that second season. Um, he had a couple games. Actually, I think there was a game in Washington where uh, they had a couple injuries to point guards, and and so he effectively sort of started as as the point guard. But you know, in the Bucks offense, especially at that time, I mean, point guard meant you dribble the ball up the court throw it to a big guy sort of on the wing and, and start a corner series and then set a back screen, you know? And, and so it wasn't like, you know, um, what you would picture, you know, James Harden sort of being quote unquote point guard. Um, it wasn't like the offense was just revolving around him and he really didn't. I mean, nothing I saw at that point kind of said like, Oh, you know, he, he's got to have the ball in his hands all the time because Honestly, a lot of it was more like the scoring stuff. I think the the playmaking and the passing instincts. I mean, he's always sort of had the the raw materials, um, but actually getting to the point where you're comfortable, you know, <laughs> telling guys where to go. And even last year, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I mean, certainly people can argue, oh, well, you know, kids should have done it earlier or whatever. I mean, look, we are where we are right now. And I don't think anybody would complain at all with what Giannis has become. And I think, you know, things kind of came to him at a, at a certain pace, I think. You know, maybe I think the one thing um, I would have liked to see him have more of a green light to shoot threes. Um, I mean, he had it his rookie year. Um, they kind of had him focus more on trying to be aggressive and attacking in his kind of second and third years. Um, last year, he had more of the green light after this in the second half, and he actually said he didn't really, he just didn't want to shoot threes at that point as much. Um, but I think you know maybe that could have been different with Jabari as well. But I mean, for the most part, I mean, I mean, you know, the proof is kind of where he is right now. I mean, again, he just turned 22, and um, you know he doesn't have to be a true quote unquote point guard. I think that was always a bit of a misnomer because he's. I mean, to me, I'm a I'm a you are who you guard guy, um, and sure. so I I always think of him more as a point forward. And and obviously he, as you said, he shares that you know the ball handling with Delvadova, and you know with a guy like like Giannis, I mean, I think. He can he can do so many different things and, and be used in so many different ways and especially with teams laying off of him, um, you know I mean we saw it against the the Blazers, uh, you know I think Alan Crabb in the fourth quarter is like playing under the free throw line and Giannis was at like you know the twenty feet away from the basket and a lot of times he'll shoot that shot but you know he he wasn't really scoring and, and he was kind of trying to pass so it's it sets up this very it sets up this very weird dynamic where you've got a good p- passer with zero ball pressure you know 20 <laughs> feet from the hoop and i mean he could try to go in the lane i think you know developing a more reliable floater that he has confidence in i mean if he I mean, he can get a little 10 foot push shot over whoever he wants um but he hasn't really kind of developed that so much but if he gets that i think that would be certainly help his his game beyond obviously just becoming more reliable as a jump shooter um and and but at the same time i mean you know is that really an effective way to defend with with zero ball pressure on a guy who can actually you know pass and and you know when you have shooters around him i don't know if that really is a great defensive tactic either so um no. so he's just He's just a he's just a singular player at this point. I mean, his his faults and and obviously his many strengths they're, they're just very different from kind of anything I think we've seen. In, I don't know, certainly in my lifetime in the NBA, and um, obviously it kind of creates a, a very strange thing to game plan from night to night for opponents. So let me ask you both: Let's place him in the NBA value uh, spectrum, if you will. He's 22 years old. He's I think right now like 11th or 10th or something in that range. I know he's close to top 10 and like you know some PER and uh, his usage rate is is very you know high for a young man. 
Is he someone, uh, Prada, who you see as a, a top 10 player in the NBA at this point? Is he, is he in your uh, you know, highest valued players in the NBA? Oh, man. I, probably not yet because okay. you still – his jumper really still isn't there yet. And you can go under and you know all of that. I, I don't know about yet, um, but it, this is the challenge. It's like what – it's so hard to figure out what he is. I because there's nobody I, I would say maybe he's in the twenties at this point, probably. Okay. But like I haven't really like gone through like every single of course. and figured it out. But it's like yeah, it's a tough one to to figure out. And you know, I think the Bucks this summer did a pretty good job of like I recognizing that they have a very unique talent and they have to find unique players to fit around him. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wonder what Bucks fans are, are feeling like yeah. about where he is. Like one of the things that is fascinating to me about, about this is that um, you were had a, this whole tweet storm, Frank, the other day, or maybe it was whoever was running the Brew Group account. I don't know if it was you about like, where are the fans? If this guy is so cool, like why are they 26 in attendance? And I think some of that is, is just institutional memory. You can't, and you, you, they haven't had anything to get excited about really like this for 25 years. And that takes time to, to build up. But that also gives a sense. I'm sure Bucks fans look at Giannis as higher than where he may really be just because this is something really to finally get excited about. I'm, I'm curious, like, is, are, is he in the halo stage at this point with the fan base? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There, there's I mean, no discussion I, yet about like, oh, I wish he could shoot the ball. Well, I mean, I think people have have been hoping that he would, you know, develop a, a reliable three point shot for you know the last certainly the last few years. Um, but it, it, see, it's strange because I think in terms of you know if you want to talk about like value and and you know if you're having an expansion draft to start you know a franchise with or whatever. Um, I mean, we were discussing that on the site the other day, and um, you know, given his age and the level of productivity he's at i know i mean i was listening to uh nate duncan and, and danny uh, larue on on the dunked on podcast and they were doing you know all nba votes and you know they were like i think danny had him as his like toughest omission from the f- first three teams and and nate had him on third team and you know to have a 22 year old i mean i i don't know are there any other 22 year olds right now who are all nba material i mean i don't think i mean towns isn't quite there yet even though he has some great numbers um defensively he's, he's not really an impact guy i think he's like last in defensive rpm among centers mm-hmm. um and How so i think the davis weird, davis is 20 23 okay so yeah he's a so he's a little older <laughs> I, I think i think basically like you know i mean and again i'm i'm biased i, I think from the bucks perspective especially because you you know this kid's grown up with you he took less money than he needed to to stay there's a huge amount of affection um and and you know his history in milwaukee growing up here now um you know i don't i don't think bucks fans honestly would want to trade him for pretty much anybody um at this point which is crazy to say but um you know when you kind of compare notes i mean i'm sure i I would think nba gms would probably take anthony davis and I'm, i'm guessing probably towns over him still um but I mean, other than that, you know, obviously you've got a ton of like, you know, superstars who are currently more productive. Like, you know, I'm not going to say that Giannis is better than Durant or LeBron or, um, you know, Curry or, or some of those guys like right now or, or Davis even like, you know, I mean, Giannis wouldn't, wouldn't lead those teams to championships right now, even if he was on them. But um, but in terms of like age and and, you know, for a young team like the Bucks that's trying to build something, uh, you know, as a franchise cornerstone, you know. I think Bucks fans are are happy to <laughs> take what they've got, and um, I don't think anybody's looking at at you know even even players as spectacular as as Davis or Towns and saying, "Man, wish we had that guy." You know, I mean, um, so it's it's a fun time, and you know, they're they, and again, a lot of it's just because he's such a different player, right? I mean, he's he's basically a perimeter player, except he doesn't really shoot jump shots, and he puts mm-hmm. up stats in every way, and he's become this massive impact player. It's it's all very strange. I think. I think the thing that's probably most surprising to me isn't so much the numbers this year, but it's when you get into kind of the advanced analytics and and that he's become a guy who is like helping you win games. You know, I mean, the Bucks are eleven, Bucks are eleven and nine, and they've had a very home heavy schedule, and you know, we'll see how real they are kind of moving forward. But um, you know, his on off numbers, I mean, the RPM numbers, I mean, 
he's got superstar numbers in, in those areas as well. It's not like a lot of young players who, you know, the kind of raw stats come before the helping you in games part. Um, he's kind of, I think, made that leap, which has probably been the piece that maybe I didn't expect. I mean, I thought he'd score 20 plus this year after Middleton went down. I think, you know, I thought he would get at least eight and five in terms of assists or rebounds and assists. Maybe I didn't think he would be two and two in blocks and steals, but, you know, kind of close. Um, but I think the thing that, that has really boosted him is that he's kind of figured out how to actually, you know, help <laughs> really help you win games. I mean, he was still a negative player last year when he was on the court on a admittedly not great Bucks team. And, and I think he's he's suddenly become a guy that, um, you know, is I mean, the Bucks would be lost without him and they're really good with him. So, yeah, um, so that's encouraging. And and they're not a good team like the roster is not that great still. I mean, their third best players after the year. And right, and you're, really you're, starting, weak, you're really weak on yeah, the wing. Yeah, you're starting Tony Snell, Matthew mm-hmm. Delvadova, and John Henson. Right? I mean, how many how many teams do Matthew Delvadova and Tony Snell start for? Right? Um, and, but but his and I think that's what's so interesting. Also, from a from a franchise building perspective, you can afford to basically pay half of what an average team might want to pay for. You know, ideally a starting point guard because you don't need you know your your job requirements of your your, your true point guard are so much less than than what, you know, you don't need to go spend $20 million on Jeff Teague because you need a guy who can create it and pick and roll and stuff like that. So it's it's just a very interesting, he just brings such a different dynamic, you know, just obviously on the court, but also in terms of how you construct a roster. And as you said, I think I think the, the moves this summer, for the, you know, for the most part, really were geared around making the most of them. And, and obviously, I think you're seeing some of the benefits of that. Crazy. He he needs he needs a shoe deal. Also, uh, I'll just say that much as well. Like, why doesn't why isn't he like why isn't he a signature athlete? I mean, I, I guess the reason is he plays in Milwaukee. But we're in 2016. Like, market shouldn't matter that much. Like that dude. I want to see that dude with a signature commercial that looks awesome and plays up like the incredible story he has and the incredible game he has. I I I don't know what it is, but like if you're Anyway, related to Adidas, Nike, Jordan brand, uh, any of these uh, Under Armour, like that's the dude that I'm like pursuing right now. <laughs> he he needs a song that explains his name or uses the letters of his name. Then people will know it. It'll be catchy. I think it, it sells itself. Okay. Or, or just Giannis. Giannis, Giannis. Yeah, he yeah. Just, he just Adet- shorten it. Go with it. is still seems to get people problems. Although the funny part is um, – like Gus Johnson was talking about people not pronouncing his name right. I mean, Gus Johnson doesn't really pronounce his name. I mean, it's like the, this is like the big debate. And I don't think Giannis even really cares that much because he pronounces it phonetically like Antetokounmpo, which is sort of like actually how they originally had the media guide had it. And then it went to Adetokounmpo, which like is, is his parents like original name before it was, you know, Greekified or whatever. Okay. Um, and then it went back to the Antetokounmpo and then it went back to Adetokounmpo. So I don't know. I, I go with the Dedekumbo. That's what it sounds like how he pronounces it. Ooh. And that's how the, the, the PA guy, the play by play, the normal play by play guy, Jim Paschke, as well as the radio guy, Ted Davis. That's how we all say it. So that's what that's what I'm sticking with until Giannis tells me to change. I, I, I'm just going to call him a cool bro. Let's just do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Mike, did you see the uh, article I sent you on how your brain functions when it and it triggers a pun and then hears a pun? I don't you gotta read it. it. I don't you gotta read it. You ignorance, read it. ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Mike, I feel like I feel like your pun. Ga- I don't feel like I see an, as many Mike puns on on Twitter as as I used to. I don't know. Are you I, cutting I, back I, or something? I waste them um, on our coworkers in person. Oh, okay. It's in the Slack channel. In the Slack channels, or just in person? Like I'll just say it. Yeah, they, so. they always land just as heavy, regardless of the medium they're being uh, relayed in. Um, but yeah, anyway, hey, this was this was fun. I, I again, I am incredibly jealous of just the ability. The the Bucks, I've watched so much more of them than I would have expected, just because there's something about him that is so unique, and you feel like you're watching something just that is so different than anything you've ever watched. It's fun and new, and I hope that we never get to the point where it starts to feel bitter for Bucks fans. I'm sure it will at some point if you know they stagnate or if they just don't win you know it always happens we always build these guys up they bring and then bring them down i hope it never gets to the point with them um i know you know this but i anyone who is a fan of the bucks should cherish this while it happens because it this is the best part when the expectations are low and we're finding out how good someone is so thanks so much for joining us 
Absolutely, guys. I I mean, like you said, we have to savor the the honeymoon phase while we've got it, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, it will be a long, uh, a long, beautiful career in Milwaukee. And I don't know who knows. I have never, never in my life have I thought that uh, have I even like conceived of the Bucks winning a championship in my lifetime. And now it's kind of like I don't know. I mean, maybe there could be like a couple moves, and then they could actually be in that conversation a couple years from now. So I don't know. Strange new world. <laughs> Embrace it. Someday the Sixers and Bucks will play in the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals again. Exactly. Twenty twenty one. Let's make it a twenty year anniversary. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, oh God. good idea. Oh, makes me feel horrible. <laughs> Anyhow, that was a uh, maybe the referees time. will be more fair this time. Oh, hey, I just hey, dropped the oh, bomb. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mike. Wow. I don't even care. Fine, sure. Say whatever you want. We won. Whatever. <laughs> That's the only happy Sixers memory. Biggest series win of my lifetime. So uh, I know we, either as a fan base, from one side fan base to another, and to Mike as well, we represent three very uh, um, beleaguered fan bases. So this is it's nice to have a, a Giannis is the point. Uh, so to go full circle. Yeah, Again, well, Frank, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. Uh, anything we should be looking out for uh, with Brew Hoops coming up uh, in the near future? Well, if 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 anyone enjoys the artistic stylings of Giannis Adetokounmpo, uh, be sure to read us every day because <laughs> Lord knows uh, much of what we do is is based around him. Um, and of course, uh, Lockdown Bucks, our, our daily podcast, which similarly also uh, <laughs> spends a lot of time uh, talking about Giannis in, in a similar tone as we have tonight. So um, lots of lots of thankful Bucks fans right now, and and hopefully more thankful Bucks fans buying buying tickets because as you said, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think they're excited. I think it's becoming pretty exciting. They're winning some games now, so we'll see if they can kind of keep this up a little bit and be competitive and uh, hopefully uh, get some more fans out. Yeah, yeah. Bucks fans, Wolves fans, go watch these unbelievable superstars before they feel jaded and then want to leave. Uh, that is a warning for sure. Uh, anyhow, uh, thanks again, Frank. Prada, as always. Uh, and until next time, uh, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah.